Father in heaven, may it never be that any of us could ever say, God has never spoken to me. Because you've given to us your word thus, each time we read it, each time we listen to it read, you are speaking to us. We trust that on this morning, you desire to speak these words out of First Thessalonians to us. So we pray that we would listen to this word, not as the word of men, but as it really is, the word of God. Speak now. May we listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn please to 1 Thessalonians in chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians in chapter 2. I want you to read the whole chapter. I won't get there, but I want to read the whole chapter. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, please. This is the very word of God. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you is not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst, midst of much affliction. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our, our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, Work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Or we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and, and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how like a father with his children. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this. That when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it is, really the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So it was always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, I Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? 
For you are our glory and joy. Now I just want to take up probably the first maybe, I don't know, bit of this. But it seems as we come to this chapter, we've been with us. It seems as we come to chapter 2, there's, there's a bit of a shift. Uh, Paul shifts from you and, and your to our and we. In other words, he, he had been addressing them very directly. He spoke, for instance, uh, in, in chapter 1. Uh, we give thanks to God always for all of you, for your work of faith, your labor of love, your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Uh, We know, brothers, loved by God, that he's chosen you because our gospel came to you in power and spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be. You received the word in much affliction and with joy in the Holy Spirit. You became an example to all believers. Uh, The word of the Lord sounded from you and it's gone forth everywhere from from you. And and, and we we understand how you turned uh, to God from idols to serve the true and living God and to wait for his son. So he was speaking to them directly. And now he begins talking about we and our himself and Paul and uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy together, this, this we. And he says, he speaks of our coming to you in verse 1. He speaks of we had already suffered and been shamefully treated. We had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much affliction. Our appeal doesn't come from error. We have been approved by God. We speak not to please men. Uh, we never came with words of flattery, uh, nor did we seek glory from people. We could have made demands uh, as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but, but also ourselves. Uh, you've became very dear to us. You remember, brother, our labor. We worked night and day while we proclaimed the gospel of God uh, to you. Uh, how uh, holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct to you who believe. We exhorted each one of you like a father. Uh, we encouraged. So all these we and our things all moves from you and your to we and ours. And we wonder why. Why, why the shift? Uh, is he being boastful? Now, describing everything that they had done and, and, and all about the message they preached that came without error, all about the, his own motives, that they were pure motives, not to please men, but to please God, is he? That, that, that his methods were pure as well, no flattery, no trickery, if you will. Uh, that, that, that he was a steward. He had been entrusted with this gospel. That he had treated them gently like a mother loves her children. He had treated them uh, as a father loves his children and in, exhorts and, and, and encourages them and all of that. Uh, why does he make this? Was he boastful about that? Is he defensive? Because he's been criticized and now he wants to defend himself. So uh, he has to defend himself. He's kind of puffing out his chest a bit and saying, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I really did it right. This is how we we did it. Or is there another reason? And if there is another reason, what is that reason? Well, don't think Paul's being boastful here in himself. Nor do I think he's being defensive. But he is defending And so the question, why is he defending? And he's defending for their sake. He's defending himself for their sake. He's defending himself for our sake as well. 
You see, the, the opposition that exists in Thessalonica uh, came against them, but, but also, no doubt, against Paul. Came against the believers, but, but also against Paul. You see, he left. And so, don't you think, the, uh, the ones who were against the gospel there in Thessalonica would say, well, what happened to the guy who brought this message? He's gone. A little bit of trouble, he's gone. And he's never come back. So Paul wants to tell them why he's never come back. And not only that, there were all kinds of charlatans in their day, just like in our day. They just didn't have television shows then, but, but, but then, you know, but now. You know, the charlatans, and, and, and they were out for their own gain and greed. And, and, and the question would come, why isn't Paul just like those people? You know, he came and difficulties came, so he left because he couldn't take advantage of you uh, anymore. And, and, and so Paul wants to say, no, that's not the case. Because you see, are the great obstacles to the gospel is whether or not the gospel bringers, the apostles, and the gospel writers really had the truth, the word of God. And don't you think that some in the midst of opposition in Thessalonica, when it becomes difficult to be a follower of Jesus, when it becomes difficult to be be a believer in Jesus, when there's opposition, when you're being ostracized and worse by family and and friends and and business and government, when when it's really hitting home in various ways, don't you think you want to make sure that this gospel that you've received, this thing that you believe is really true? So Paul's saying to them, you you need to, to realize it is really true. I really am from God. I really do have the gospel of God. And so he lays that out for them and and for us as well, because we believe in this gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ on the basis of the word of these apostles as well. This is where we get it from the scripture. We read it. And Paul says, you can trust this word. And, and we have some proof here that you can trust this word. A critique of Christianity in our day is that these gospel writers, these New Testament writers, are not trustworthy. At best, they're embellishing on the life of this person, Jesus of Nazareth, embellishing in such a way that will promote their own gain, embellishing in such a way that will promote their own beliefs, uh, what they really believe God is and who God is. But, but it's an embellishment. It's not really true. And, and, and the question for us, is it really true? Because, you see, we stake our whole life on this. And we experience in some measure opposition in that regard, depending on our particular spheres. Because you see, what we believe, what they believed, what the apostles taught, was that there really is only salvation through faith in this Jesus. When that's known, you see, that separates us. From everyone else. And there can be opposition against that. There's an evil one, and there is a world. There is sin within. See, people don't mind us as the church loving others and doing good. They don't even mind us loving others and doing good in the name of Jesus, so long as we don't bring with that name of Jesus. This sense that human beings are estranged from God because of their sin. 
And that results in the wrath of God against them. And there is only deliverance from the wrath of God through, as Paul put it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, uh, through his son whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. That Jesus. When we begin with that, when we, we lay that out, then, then we feel the lines were not always welcome. Well, we otherwise might have been welcome before that was known, that sense that this is the only way, really, that God has made us, God has made us, that he's the one, therefore, who defines life. He's the one, therefore, who directs life. He's the Lord. And we're to find our delight in him. And when we don't follow his design and delight in his design, worship him, then ah, his rightful, just response is what the Bible calls wrath. And the only deliverance from that is for someone to come and obey for us, someone to come and take the penalty of our sin for us, and that one is Jesus. And there's salvation only in him. Now, in our culture, over the history of our culture, sometimes it's difficult to tell a Christian from an unbeliever by way of actions because much of Christian values, if you will, have, has sort of been incorporated by the culture. Values in the sense of, of what we think are right and wrong. Not necessarily values in the sense of what we think of Christ or his lordship or his work or any of that, but, but, but just right and wrong. And so, so by behavior, often... People look like Christians. Some unbelievers (laughs) look more like Christians than some believers at times, you see. But if I may say this, I believe that day is ending. And that day is ending because we're quickly, it seems, not a prophet. Don't kill me if this doesn't come true. You'll be happy if it doesn't. But it seems that quite frankly we're very quickly moving uh, into a world in which gender is understood and defined very differently than the way the Bible lays it out. And we believe that sexuality is moving to a place culturally where it's very far from where the Bible lays out. Marriage, family, the very heart of life, if you will, in that sense, is being defined, understood very differently, increasingly differently. And if we maintain in the name of Jesus, for the sake of Jesus, because of Jesus, the understanding that the Bible lays out for us as us being created in the image of God, male and female, that a man should leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two should become one flesh. That defines gender, sexuality, marriage, family. You realize we are going to be increasingly different and noticeably so. So the question really is, is this true? 
It's fairly easy when life goes on and we can believe it and nobody really cares. But when people start caring, then we ask that question. Is this really true? That's the question they would ask. So Paul comes to them and he makes defense, not because he's being defensive, not because it really matters to him what anybody thinks of him per se, but what matters is what they think of him is related to the gospel that he brought. Therefore, he has to lay out and say, now take a minute, think about this. You know, he did this all out in the open. He said, you know how we brought this gospel. You know how we lived among you. You know all of that, you see. And so what Paul lays out here is, is not only the defense of himself, but he lays out how it is that the church is to be and how we're to bring this gospel, and what it really means to live in a society and a culture and, and how, we, how we live that out, as he would put it, courageously or boldly. And so, so that's what we're going to find here. So as Paul comes to them, he says, listen, now you know when people say that I fled, you know that I've never cowered from opposition. I mean, from the get-go, Paul knew that he would suffer. When he, was, when he first met Jesus on the road to Damascus, Acts chapter 9, and this uh, man Ananias comes to him, and Paul's blinded and all of that, the instruction he's given is, is you need to tell him is about his calling and how much he's going to suffer for my sake. Paul knew it from the very beginning. In fact, Paul said that he, that we, the people there, were destined for this in First Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. He says, therefore... When we could bear it no longer, that is, being away from you, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker, in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in the faith that, nobody, that, that no one be moved by these afflictions. See, he was afraid, Paul was, that their afflictions and the afflictions that, that Paul himself were suffering would in some way discourage them in their faith. So he said, we had to send somebody to you to make sure all was well. And then he puts it like this, for you yourselves know that we were destined for this. And Paul says, listen, I've never cowered from suffering. I've known all along. I didn't flee because of opposition you asked me to go because of the opposition <laughs> they they told him to leave to leave town and he says you know that this has just been the course of our lives it, it happened in philippi we suffered there acts chapter 16 paul speaks of of what happened there in philippi you might remember there was a situation where where there was a, a demon possessed slave girl who was walking around this is fascinating to me annoying paul because she was following around and these others and she said, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. She did that for many days. Paul was annoyed until finally he dealt with it. And uh, that's, that's a great comfort to parents, I think. You see, uh, you see, well, you know, Paul went many days and then finally being because he was annoyed. It doesn't say because he loved her. It was because he was annoyed. Uh, he cast this demon and so she was freed from that. Now that caused problems. The problems it caused were economic ones, business-related ones for the, the people, the men who owned her. And so she was no longer any good to them. And so they came and look, up, look what happened. They seized Paul. Now, we mustn't romanticize that. They seized him. They grabbed him. They dragged him. Right? Into the marketplace before the rulers. That's not only painful, but by any stretch of the imagination, humiliating. They tore their garments 
They beat them with rods. They inflicted many uh, blows upon them. They put them in the inner prison in in stocks. And here's what they said about them. This is fascinating. So they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Parenthetically, that's the accusation we're beginning to receive now as believers. They advocate customs, views, that we as Americans can't practice. Think about that. So Paul wants to make sure they, they realize this is the, the real gospel. Now he was um, enabled to escape by a miracle uh, and so forth. And he says the same thing happened in Thessalonica. There, there was opposition. A great mob was put together to, to try to find Paul. He was protected by this man named Jason, if you will. But, but look at the accusation. Against them, these men who have turned the world upside down have come also here, and Jason has received them, and they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying, there's another king, Jesus. You see, that's the problem. And that's what we say too. There is a real king who does rule, and that is Jesus. Now, what we must tell people is that this King Jesus, first and foremost, reigns in grace and mercy. You see, that's what's fascinating. People being against Jesus. He reigns in grace and mercy. Our day will come when he'll come to judge, but, but now he reigns in grace and mercy. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm humble, gentle in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. I'm the bread of life. Come feed upon me. You'll never be hungry. You'll never thirst. I'm the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, even when you die, you'll live. I mean, that's the point of this king. He can rule over life and death. He can rule over life. And he says, come to me. But people are offended by that. Because in sin, lest there's a work of the Spirit in repentance and faith. In sin, you see, we want to go our own way. And so that's offensive to us Rather than to have a king over us, we'd rather anoint our own king. Thank you very much. Rather our own idols. Thank you very much. We'd rather create the gods we serve rather than one who is other and greater and sovereign and Lord. They went to Berea. Things were well until there was a stirring up. An agitation from those from the outside who had come from Thessalonica. Paul had to leave again. Then in Athens, he found a different kind of opposition. He found mockers and talkers in Athens. He found those who just said Paul was a babbler. And those who said, well, let's just keep talking about this. But very, very few believed. So all kinds of opposition had come, whether it be economic and, and, and persecution, whether it be religious and persecution, whether it be intellectual and philosophical, and just a rejection uh, uh, and an apathy. All kinds of opposition. So Paul says, we never shy away from opposition. That isn't the point of all, at all. So, so you know, and you know we came with boldness. That word boldness means forthrightness, honesty. We laid it out with no fear. We were courageous in that. 
We're completely bold and, and honest as we, as we came to you. We came not in vain, but with a purpose. And that purpose was to share this gospel with you. And he said something that we all should strive to be able to say when people criticize the gospel and even our witness. On a number of occasions, he said, you yourselves know. You know how we lived. You know how we said it. You know why we said it. You watched us. You saw us. You yourselves know, brother, that our coming to you was not in vain. We had a purpose when we come. Uh, you know that, that we had boldness. We were open. We were honest. Uh, you, verse 5, uh, you know we never came with words of flattery, uh, with, with, uh, with a pretext for greed. Uh, verse 9, you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day. Um, you're our witnesses. Uh, and so all of that, you, you know. He said it was done not in a corner, not hidden, but it was done openly, honestly, right before you. You see, that which is secretive is always the stock and trade of the false teacher. See, uh, when it's in secret, when there's a secret knowledge, when it isn't available for everyone, when it's just for a select few, when you're invited to go to something and they say, well, don't tell anybody what's going to happen here. And after you leave, don't tell anybody what happened there. You see, the kingdom of God is not like Las Vegas in in a lot of ways. But see, what happens in the kingdom of God never should stay there. What happens in the kingdom is to be broadcast everywhere, right? And so he said, we didn't come in secret. This isn't this isn't something, we came boldly, we came openly, we came honestly. We laid it out. We minced no words. He said, uh, we didn't come to please men, but rather God. We didn't come with words of flattery. You know, flattery is what people say to your face that they'd never say behind your back, right? And and it's used, flattery, to con you, to gain influence over you, to turn your head in such a way that it would never be turned otherwise. So we didn't come with flattery, uh, nor with a pretext uh, for greed. God is our witness. This message up in verse 3 was not from error. It was True, we've been entrusted with this. We're stewards of this. We were tested before we were sent out. And, and we're in purity. Our motives were pure, not imp- impure. We didn't have any attempt to deceive, that is, to, to really to trick anybody, to trick anybody with our words, to trick anybody with flattery. We were open and honest about everything, you see. You see, there's no baiting and switching here. No need for that. Paul said, we never baited and then switched. We never said, this is what it is to follow Jesus. And then said, oh, by the way, there's also this. He never said that when you come to faith in Jesus, you don't need to repent of your sins. He said, of course you do. You need to turn to God from idols. He never would say, that you can trust Jesus as your Savior, but not follow him as your Lord. He would never say that. He would never, ever say that you can 
believe in Jesus, that's all it takes. You, you don't have to be associated with church with the people of God. He would, he would never say that. He would never say that, that you can become a believer in Jesus and your life not be transformed and, and that you need not obey and that you need not follow. He would never say, you see, any of that. No baiting and, and switching. No making it look like one thing and then it being another. He would never have these, these uh, sermon series titled, well, I, I better not do that. But, but he, would, he would never trick anyone into coming into a place where he's speaking about Jesus. He'd be honest about it. The poster would say, Paul is going to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ tonight, synagogue seven to nine, right? And then the details would be, he's going to say that you're a sinner in the sight of God without hope except in God's sovereign mercy. And to have real life, have sins forgiven, be reconciled to God, belong to him, have eternal life. You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as he's offered in this gospel as the Savior of sinners. It would, it would all be right there out in the open. He wouldn't say, dessert at seven. Right? He, wouldn't, he wouldn't list all that. He'd just list, this is what I'm going to talk about. This is what I, what I did. In fact, the way he describes his ministry, and we think this can't be true because we think he was so eloquent, but the way he describes his ministry is like this in 1 Corinthians in chapter 2. He says to the church in Corinth, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said, that was it. That was my message. That's what I talked about all the time. You know, if I'm walking down the street and you ask me who won the game last night, I would say, Jesus and him crucified. Right? That's what I... So that was my message to you about everything. And I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling and my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit um, and power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul said, I know I've been entrusted with this gospel. If I make it up, it won't help you. It might help me in the short run, but it won't help me in the long run. And so this is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ that comes to you, see, in power. There were no rhetorical tricks. When Paul spoke of Jesus being raised from the dead, he didn't mean being raised in your heart. He meant raised from the dead. That's what he meant. When he spoke of, of Jesus being the Son of God, he meant that the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He meant that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. That's what he meant, Son of God, eternal Son of God, equal with the Father and the Spirit. Eternal, the very Son of God. When he said that there's salvation through faith in Jesus, justification by faith in Jesus, he meant no other way, you see. When he said that this was the word of God, not the word of men, he didn't mean that it becomes the word of God when you read it. It didn't mean that it contains the word of God and somewhere in what I've said is, is the word of God. You have to find it. He said, no, this is the word of God. No rhetorical tricks, you see. 
when he said when Jesus died for the sins of sinners and he spoke of that, he, he meant that that dying was for those who would believe, you see. Not that this was a general dying of Jesus for all the sins of all people. And it didn't matter then if you didn't believe. That everyone would be saved some way, somehow, all through Jesus, of course. But some way, somehow, oh, no, 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 he didn't mean that. He meant that Jesus died so that those who would believe would be saved. No rhetorical tricks. He was honest. He laid that out. No flattery. He never told them they were better than they were. He never told them they were worse than they were. He was honest. See, we hope. That's why I mentioned during our time of confession this morning, I spent a little more time there than I usually do, but I, but I did because I, I just want to share that, that we're trying to be honest here as we gather to worship. We've always tried to be honest. No tricks, no bait and switch. I never... We never want to have to unteach anything. And so we take up the scripture. We believe it's the word of God. And so we read it in our worship services a lot. We rely upon it. We depend upon it. We use it, you see, to to define all that we do. And so when we come, we try to say, yes, God is holy. This is who he is. We are sinners. Yes, this is who we really are. There's salvation through faith in Christ only. Uh, and, And so we come in faith. To him, we worship him because of this. We delight in this. We listen to his word and we say, now as those who trust in him, believe in him, filled with the spirit, we take this word and we're to go and we're to live it. I mean, that's it, boys and girls. I mean, that's that's what we're trying to do here. Uh, that's why we don't do all kinds of fancy things. We don't want to confuse anybody. We don't want to trick anybody. We don't want flattery. We don't want no rhetorical tricks. We're just trying to lay it out. Best we know, as the scripture lays it out, you see. And so Paul says, that's what we did. That's my point here. I didn't come, I don't come to please man. Now, pleasing people is a good thing in the right context, of course. We want to please one another. We want to help each other. We want to love each other. We want to, I want to make you happy. But, but Paul says, listen, when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to laying this out, I'm not going to change any of it because you want me to. This is what the gospel, this is what the gospel is. So the question is, how did Paul get free from fear? So he could speak honestly and boldly in the face of opposition when he knew that when he spoke boldly and honestly and openly, he might get beaten seized, humiliated, run out of town. What freed him from that fear? What freed him from the temptation to be a man pleaser, if you will, to change this gospel in such a way, just tweak it in such a way that that people would like him more so he wouldn't get into such trouble with people and get seized and beaten and run out of town. What freed him from that temptation? What, what, what freed him from the natural tendency to, to want to flatter? What, what freed him from the desire to look successful 
See, when you and I think about the Apostle Paul, we think great man, successful, and all of that. But when you read his letters, you find that in the first century church, in the church to which he wrote and where he lived and founded, they didn't always like him that much. He was defending himself. Read 2 Corinthians. He was defending himself all the time. People thought, who's this short, little, beaten-up-looking guy? And if he's so great, why is he getting beaten up all the time? He seems bold when he writes to us. When he comes here, he's kind of a wimp. Well, that's the kind of thing Paul has to deal with all the time. What kept him from the temptation of flattery, of trickery in some way, rhetorical tricks to, 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 to make people like him better? Well, I think the key is in verse 2. He said, we had boldness in our God. It was an understanding of where Paul lived. Now, the church was in Thessalonica, but the church was also in God. We live in Lawrence, Kansas. We're also in God. And when the expression in God, in Jesus, in the Spirit is used in the Scripture, it often describes this union that we have with him. It's an amazing thing. It's almost impossible to describe. The Bible gives us a number of metaphors to explain to us what it means to be in God. It talks about vines and branches, Jesus did, right? Abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branch. That, that's being united, that's being in union, that's being in him, this sense of sustenance, this sense of life that comes from him. When we're in Jesus, we're in God, life comes from him. Uh, the marriage is used uh, as, as a metaphor, as an illustration of, of this being in. When husbands and wives are joined together, they're united together. And Paul, in Ephesians 5, lays out marriage, husbands and wife, and he said, now this is a great mystery. But I'm talking about Christ in the church, meaning that this mystery of, 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 of uh, this union of a man and a woman illustrates for us, helps us to understand what it means to be united to, to be in God. Parenthetically, that's why we can't lose marriage. Because you see, it's more than just a man and a woman coming together and being united. It's a, a visual, it's an illustration, it's a metaphor. It, it, it shows us what it means to be united to God. God wastes nothing. In the very beginning, man and woman created in his image, united together. So, but but it's, it, it shows us what it means. And, and so you know what that union of a man and a woman is. It's no longer I, but, but we. I'm, I'm united to this one. My, I have a whole new identity now. Names are changed and life is changed and bank accounts are changed. Everything is changed now that there's this union, you see. I'm no longer known just as me when one is married always it's you and your spouse you see my kids are all married i never think of them anymore i really don't it just dawned on me the other day i never think about them as just josh and sarah and grace it's always josh and nicole it's always sarah and damon it's always grace and brandon there's this whole new identity now, you see. 
I never think of myself apart from Karen. And Paul would never think of himself apart from God. He knew he was in God all the time, wherever he went. I had a good friend who used to say, wherever you go, there you are. Profound man. Philosopher like no other. The truth is, wherever you go, as a believer, there God is. We're in him. I have on my phone, my calendar. It's very easy to do. Way easier than the old days when I had to write it out on every page. I have every day, first thing on my calendar, on my phone is, God is with you. That's always there. So no matter what else is there. And it's a reminder to me that I'm in God. I live and move and have my being. I'm in him, you see. I don't escape him. I don't want to escape him. And so Paul, knowing that he's in God, knew that there in God was a place of transformation. That his value system was transformed because of where he was. He was in God. 2 Corinthians 3.18. In my Bible, I refer to this as a Jerry Bridges verse because he was the one who first taught it to me. 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And that is, you see, when we're in God, then we're being transformed as we gaze upon him as we behold his glory. How do we behold his glory? Well, we read the scripture. We meditate upon him. We, we think of him. We, our consciousness is wrapped around him and the truth of him. And, and that's transforming. And so Paul could honestly say, because I've been entrusted with the gospel, because I'm in God, I can come boldly. I don't have to be a man pleaser because I'm in God. I've been transformed. I know what's really valuable now. What's really valuable is, let me think about this, God. What's really valuable is his glory. What's really valuable is his gospel. And so I I come to you that way, you see, in God, having been transformed by this gospel. Paul knew himself. We know ourselves. What other explanation did he have For being who he now is, was. From persecutor to apostle. What other explanation do you have? For being who you were to who you are now. Just that real true gospel. What transforms? That gospel. Nothing else. What are you going to tell people? That gospel. That really transforms. And Paul would know you don't have to mince words. You You don't have to change it. Water it down. Use flattery, trickery, any of that. Why? Because you didn't need it. It's the very gospel of God. It comes not only in word, but in power, with the Holy Spirit, to bring its full effect. So he was being transformed because he was in God. And knowing that he was in God, he would know that he lives in the one who rules and reigns over everything. He rules and reigns over this gospel. He rules and reigns over how people respond to the gospel. He rules and reigns 
of whether we're loved or not loved because of the gospel. He rules and reigns over whether we're uh, uh, persecuted or not because of the gospel. And he, he was freed from that fear because he knew that God ruled and reigned and that God would keep him, protect him. Didn't mean he would keep him from being beaten. It didn't mean God would keep him from being hated. It didn't mean that God would keep him from being run out of town. What it meant was that God would sustain him, that God would keep his very heart. He would keep his very soul. And he knew that in the midst of whatever happened to him, he could be content. He could be satisfied because he was in God. We're in God, you see. If we believe in Jesus, we're in God. We're united to him. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. By way of faith in Jesus. That's true for you. You needn't fear. Don't fear telling the truth to your children. Don't fear telling the truth to your spouse. Don't fear telling the truth to your neighbors. Don't fear telling the truth to your coworkers. Don't fear telling the truth in the world. Now, of course, there are certain relationships and we have to be respectful and all of that. Not everybody gets to be the Apostle Paul and go to the synagogue and, 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 and preach or go here and preach and all that sort of thing. We understand that. There are relationships. There are parent-child relationships. There are husband-wife relationships. There are boss-employee relationships. There are relationships in the neighborhood and friendships and all of that. But when opportunity presents... Don't be afraid because you're in God and you don't need, we don't need to change it. We don't need to water it down. Uh, We don't need to say it in such a way that we'll be liked at the end of the day. That doesn't mean you say it in a way that you'll be hated necessarily, but you don't need to say it in a way that will be liked at the end of the day. No rhetorical tricks. We don't have to play bait and switch. We don't have to say the gospel means this, but not that one. It does really mean that too. We don't need to fear inviting people to come to a church that's open and honest. Because we're in God. Let's pray. Father, pray for me, for us, that you would grant us this grace to gaze upon Jesus, to be transformed, to know where we live, in whom we live, with whom we're in union. And that, Father, knowing that would enable us to not be afraid of opposition, but to live if we must in a culture may mock us 
that may criticize us, that, that may even turn against us. Father, may we find our acceptance from you. May we find our satisfaction in you. May we find our contentment in you. May we find our protection in you. May we find our confidence in the gospel. May we know its power, that it really is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. And so we, we have boldness to share it. Holy Spirit, I pray, would you use all of us in such a way that we might be able to live and share in such a way that the hope that we have in Jesus becomes known and that you would take that word and apply it into the lives and hearts of our children, of our spouses, of our parents, of our friends, of our co-workers, of those in leadership in our country and Father throughout the world. That you would be honored and glorified by the spread of your word, by the honoring of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for those in difficulty that as believers in Christ, they would know that they're in you. Whatever the difficulty may be, that they're not outside of you, that's your sovereign, in the midst of their circumstance, be it one of discouragement, be it one of depression, be it one of illness, be it one of relational troubles, be it a struggle with temptation, Difficulty, difficulty with faith. Father, that you would, in those situations for all who are in you, that you would, God, enable them to know that you're sovereign in that situation, that you're helping them in that situation, that you're with them in that situation. They would rely upon you not be afraid. That you would bring health and you would bring healing and that you would bring courage and that you would bring strength and you would bring reconciliation. Father, for us as a church, the temptation is always to be successful. The temptation is always to be like. The temptation is always to be well thought of. And so I I pray, Father, that you would free us from desiring to please anyone but you and that you would enable us to boldly, honestly, openly, frankly, respectfully, kindly, gently, Share the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.